Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Hot Blooded Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Jones, and this is my podcast where I talk to musicians about love, rock and roll, and anything else that comes up along the way. And I have taken a couple of weeks off the podcast because of everything going on in the world and really wanting to take a step back and not put out any of my own work right now. I thought it was a time to sort of give space and listen and see what I can do to help even in my tiny corner of the world. And uh, I put out a bonus episode last week, just sort of explaining my thought process on everything. And also the fact that I'm going to start donating 20% of the Patreon money every month toward a different organization that is fighting for racial equality and also against police brutality. And this month, I have chosen the Okra Project, which is an organization that helps uh, Black trans folks get food and shelter and whatever else they might need. Uh, They're a great organization. I was actually inspired because Two Minutes to Late Night just did a raffle where they raffled off my friend Jordan's base. I looked into the organization and given that it's Pride Month, I thought that it was appropriate and I'm going to donate money to them. So next month, we'll probably go with a different organization. And you're always welcome to email me and give me suggestions of places that you would like to see your money go to. Um, And in the meantime, if you feel like donating to the Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash hotbloodedpodcast, and you can get some extra stuff along the way. And again, as I mentioned last podcast, in the little bonus podcast, I am behind on some of those things and I do need to get going on that. So forgive me. The world has been a little bit insane. I appreciate all of your patience. Anyway, this week's episode is a special one and it is with the songwriter and vocalist of a band called Mismore. And he goes by the name ALN. And Mismore is a very interesting band to me because I'm not really much of a black metal person and Ms. Moore is absolutely a black metal band. But from the first moment that I heard Ms. Moore, I was completely captivated. Um, the first song I ever heard was on an album called Yod, Y-O-D-H, if you want to look it up. Uh, the first song is called Woe Regains My Substance. And the first the first thing you hear is just this perfect blood curdling scream that will shake you to your very core and just moves you instantly. It's like, you can just tell right away, this is about something very, very heavy. So when I first heard this, I went and checked out his story. I believe this was in 2016. I started reading about his inspiration behind the music. And turns out that he used to be a devout Christian and he started to fall out of love with his faith and out of love with God and become more of an atheist. And as he was doing so, he started writing black metal as a way to mourn his religion and his relationship with God. And I thought that was so interesting because black metal is usually so associated with the devil and uh, really evil things and, um, you know, satanic imagery. And even if not all bands 
you know, who play black metal are into that stuff. That's just kind of the, the founding fathers of black metal kind of laid down that aesthetic for everything. So to hear that somebody was writing black metal about Christianity and the, the like mourning the loss of that, when you realize that God isn't real, just seems so incredibly moving and interesting to me. So I've been wanting to talk to him for a long time. And then he put out this record called Cairn last year. And a cairn is a pile of rocks that you place on the ground as a mile marker or as a signifier that you've buried something. And there are two songs on the record with that word in it. One's Cairn to God and one is Cairn to Suicide. And basically, it served as a metaphor for putting behind him the concept of God and also the concept of suicide as a way out. So the record is about reveling in the absurdity of life and the fact that God isn't real and also figuring out how to live your life in the present moment and enjoyment and um, to just sort of accept the fact that there might not be a reason that we're here, but that's okay. So I just thought that was such a cool concept for a record. He put that record out in 2019 and recently in 2020, he released a book of this huge conversation between him and Amaruth Rundle, who, if you remember from episode three, is a very good friend of mine and an amazing songwriter and poet and musician. And this conversation is like 14,000 words long or something like that. And they released just a snippet of it on Metal Hammer. And I remember reading it and wondering how these two knew each other because they just, they had this, this deep conversation that seemed so, uh, it's the type of thing that you only get into and you really know somebody well. As it turns out, ALN from Mismore is dating Emma Ruth Rundle's sister, Sarah Ray Rundle, and they've been together for like six years. So I put two and two together and realized that Sarah Ray has been with ALN since the loss of his religion. And she was with him while he was kind of going through a lot of these things. So I really wanted to know what that was like, what it was like to be with him while he was mourning this loss and how she helped him through that and what their partnership is like. And also the difference between, you know, what it's like being in a Christian relationship and one as a newly atheist person. So I had an amazing time talking to him. I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing this. He's a wonderful person. And it seems like Sarah Ray is too. recently released a book that's a conversation between you and Emma Ruth Rundle, um, like a huge epic conversation about life and religion and the absurdity of everything. How did that happen? Like, what were you guys just like, we have amazing conversations and we should just record one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It it started actually through Gilead Media uh, gearing up to release Cairn, the full length that I released last year. And we were coming up with ideas to, you know, how to do the the PR rollout and kind of mutually expressing dissatisfaction with kind of the regular track stream premiere uh, through, you know, the same handful of of metal sites, uh, metal zines, uh, and how a lot of times those those reviews and premieres don't really get at the real content uh it's kind of just like a surface level engagement uh and they don't have the effect that you think they're going to um so adam adam felt kind of strongly about this and and we wanted to come up with some more outside of the box ways to to roll the thing out uh we did do some some track premieres um and this actually was one of them the interview with with emma uh, was through Metal Hammer on the internet. But basically, it was his idea for me to have a conversation with a personal friend or colleague, someone that I that I know better than, than vaguely, to have a more personal kind of engagement, go deeper, and get a really special interview that way. As opposed to just like some random journalist or blogger calling you up and asking you like surface level questions. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe not even doing that and just putting the song up and typing a few comments about what they think it sounds like. And there's so much emotional, personal content to my music. I think Adam wanted to capture that better through just a a less orthodox interview style, more personal one. Uh, So he he threw out a couple of suggestions of people I could talk to. And um, then I kind of thought maybe I should talk to Emma because we're we're close and um, we have good conversations and it just, it makes sense. And she, she was already going to be coming out to visit me and Sarah Ray, my girlfriend, Sarah Ray is her sister, which is how I know Emma. Um, so Emma was going to pay us a visit and um, I, I pitched this idea to her and it was, she was like, yeah, that sounds cool. It's just, we'll, Wait till I get there and we'll we'll do the talk while I'm there. It'll be perfect. We're like, wow, yeah, you're actually going to be here in person. That's going to be really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we just uh, one of the days she was visiting, we sat down in my backyard and pressed record on the phone and set out to have this conversation interview. It turned out to be like almost four hours. Wow. Like we, we didn't really have any parameters in mind. I, I, I think... I was assuming it would be like maybe an hour, but we just, there was so much happening. We just kept talking and talking. Uh, and it turned out, yeah, to be really, really long. And Emma brought her her camera out with her, her Roloflex, like old film camera. And she also borrowed a digital camera from her dad. She's a really, really talented photographer. And part of the interview was not only going to be getting to talk to her, but uh, getting her to photograph me and do portraits of me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we went out uh, with Sarah on a camping trip to Yahats, to Cape Perpetua, cool, which is a cool spot in Oregon where the old growth forest meets the coast. 
Rad. And she took a bunch of pictures out there. And anyway, long story short, w- once we had the whole thing wrapped up to give to Gilead, I, I mean, I had to transpose or transcribe, I mean, uh, like four hours of of conversation into text. Oh, you did all the transcription yourself? Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> oh, insane. Oh, my God. Uh, and we had like hundreds of pictures. So even after I like whittled it down to as small as it could be that I felt good about it, it was still insane. And so I gave it to Adam and was like, I know you're going to like cut most all of this stuff out, but like, this is, this is the smallest version I can give you. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Do whatever you want with it. Uh, but I got to let you know, this thing was like a lot of work and I feel like it was really, really special and we went above and beyond. And so if there's like any way we can do a more special release of this, uh, than just a thousand words on on a site that people forget about after a couple of weeks like that would be really cool because this is a really unique thing and emma's really talented these photos are incredible so we came up with the book idea and i'm really pleased with with how it came out it's satisfying to have something to hold and and look through and read for all the effort we put in yeah I bet like, and also to have a supportive label person who says, yes, this is special. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cut this down. I remember, um, I was working at Kerrang when this happened and they were searching for an outlet to put out like a, a very long, maybe not the whole thing, but like a very long version of it. And I, I read some of it and I was like, this is very special, but there's no way my boss is going to let me put like a 5,000 word thing up. He was like, yeah, maybe, maybe 2000. And so I went to Adam and I was like, I, I can, but it's going to have to be 2000. And he was like, I just, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. And I thought that's so cool. Like, I don't want to do it if it's going to be not representational of what the artist wants. So hell yeah. And I'm I'm glad that Metal Hammer ended up taking at least a, a humongous chunk of it. Yeah, I think I think what they ran was like a five or six K version. Uh, I think the book is like 14,000 words. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no one would sit there and, and read that much on a blog anyway, I don't think. So I, yeah. I, I think the way it happened was was perfect. I'm I'm looking forward to when I can actually sit down with like the whole book and and see it with her pictures and everything. So so um to go back in time just for anybody who doesn't know about Ms. Moore. Tell me a little bit about how the the project began. The project began I guess leading up to it kind of throughout 2010 and 2011. Um I had a a conversion experience and became a Christian as a young adult. This was something that was um part of my upbringing and my family uh, for my whole life, but I rejected it as a a young teen and then had an experience where I took it seriously and it became my own and and wasn't my parents' religion anymore. And I dove headfirst into that. And I went to a Bible school in Germany for six months. And um, I began to have a lot of doubts about the faith um, it's kind of been a marker of my personality for a while is, uh, I don't know, anxiety and, and depression in this certain way where I kind of obsess and circular think about things and, uh, critical think a lot. And 
I don't know, maybe it's a combination of my personality with accepting dogmas, but um, I just, I had a lot of wrestling and darkness in my walk with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I, after I came home from Germany, it was still kind of a process, but my faith slowly unraveled. And I, I think I practiced seriously for, that was like maybe a two-year period total. Um, but near the end of it, I was just so depressed and uh, I couldn't get any breakthroughs through through the faith, I, through doing my devotion. I would do daily devotional time of, of prayer and scripture and, and worship and, and whatnot. And uh, it became so painful and frustrating that uh, I would just feel like I'm sitting down and going through the motions every day. And it just became this really hollow, draining, legalistic feeling act that I was doing. And I was uh, involved in a church in Portland, and I had a person I would meet with one-on-one -on -one who was, quote, discipling me. And uh, I started, you know, I told him all about my struggles. He, he was uh, familiar with them. And I told him that I was starting to make music instead of praying and uh, instead of reading the Bible, because it just felt like I was bashing my head against a wall and right. hoping that the result would be different one of these times when it's just the same over and over again. So I had to do something different. And I, I told him I was making music instead. And it, it was, it was, it would end up being Mismore was making this doom and black metal sounding thing to express all this pain I was feeling. And, uh, at one meeting I, t I told him that I was doing that and that probably I wasn't going to want to be meeting anymore. And actually, I'm really pleasantly surprised at the advice that he gave me because it's not very common in, in the church to get advice like this. But he told me that it sounded like the music I was making was the closest thing to actually worshipful heart uh, in my life that I had, probably more so than reading the Bible and praying, as contrary as that may seem, because it right. just was not uh, genuine anymore. So he encouraged me to press into my music, and uh, I did, and we stopped meeting, and I stopped going to church, and I mean, slowly, it wasn't like... He said that. You weren't I was just like, like cool. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I used Mismore as an outlet to to grieve my loss of faith in God. It was really painful to me. Um, I had like really fallen in love with the person of Christ as he's portrayed in the Gospels and and the brand of Christianity that I was uh, surrounded with and um, and brought up in. It just uh, paints this really. I mean, gentle, meek, loving, beautiful picture of Christ. And, and I was taught that, that his Holy Spirit indwelt me, and I actually had a, a literal relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. So, like, Jesus becomes your best friend and, and so many other things. And I really felt like I loved him. And, f you know, for whatever reason, uh, 
became disillusioned with the truth of scripture and then you lose this relationship and it uh really broke my heart so my music's always been i guess you could say anti-christian but not in this typical norwegian black metal sort of way like i had no anger in my heart uh i just felt so deeply sad so you were just mourning the loss of your best friend basically yeah pretty much and just like feeling like you don't know what's true feeling like everything in the world that i thought is wrong uh so i just felt like i had no foundation uh you know like if a world view is like a a castle that you build for yourself i i felt like i was just in rubble and uh so yeah i just i used this music as therapy to overcome my grief of of my loss of faith in in christianity it's very apparent in your music that you were going through like a really huge and daunting thing because the music is just so powerful and so painful and you can really feel your pain through it i've always been really like taken with that in your music thank you <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> that's, not, that's not really a question is it <laughs> sort of, this is what i think um so can you recall for me like you know going from feeling like christ is your best friend in the whole world and um you know, having a relationship with him and going to him for guidance and all that. And and then to having this project where you're grieving the loss of him in your heart. That's such a huge change. So obviously it was over the course of many years and there were many things that went into that. And you're just giving me like a, an in a nutshell version, but can you recall one of the first things that started to unravel your love of Christ or your belief that he was real? Yeah, I think it was kind of twofold for me. Um, there are a number of of contradictions in the scriptures uh, of a couple different kinds. There are literal contradictions where, you know, in one book of the Bible, it gives you a, a count of the number of people who have died in a certain battle and then when they retell that story in another chapter the number is different hmm. but you're taught that it's the inerrant word of scripture so like which number is right or how can it be right that they're both listed um, little things like that kind of concerned me at first and then there are certain contradictions that are less obvious like the promises of scripture and what a believer can expect to feel uh, and experience in their life and in their relationship with Christ. And having one picture painted in the text and then an entirely different one represented in your real life. So I think for me that the ultimate reason that I couldn't do it anymore was that I just had really bad depression. And I kept reading verses about the peace of God will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus, you know, the peace that uh, surpasses all understanding. Right. Uh, all these verses about joy and and love and and peace and whatnot. And I felt so alienated from that experience. That was just not happening to me. I wasn't experiencing the same thing that other believers were. And, uh, I mean, there's lots of, it was a long process still with, with those feelings of like, am I doing something wrong? 
what can I do differently? What's, what's wrong with me? So I just started to need to try other methods to feel healthy than just pressing into scripture, pressing into prayer, uh, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that took a really long time for me to be comfortable with even entertaining the idea that this could be wrong and that I should look somewhere else for help. And I wasn't the type of Christian that like wouldn't take medication or anything. I had antidepressants and whatnot, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think overall, if I could sum it up, it's like what the Bible says and how the world is are not the same thing. And that can be on a, you know, like a, a literal contradictory sort of place, or it can be an inner type of thing, but it just, there's a huge cognitive dissonance that I couldn't get over. Um, there were other things that I couldn't accept about scripture too, but certain denominations of Christianity allow this to be, you know, like for example, I've never thought that it was wrong to be a homosexual. You don't have to think that to be a Christian. There's a, a myriad of, of ways to, to deal with that, uh, but the scriptures do call that out as a sin. So right. I, there were a lot of things that I, that I wrestled with, and I think overall it was my, my inner darkness that uh, drove me away after a while. That makes sense. So you talk about you know, how you're supposed to find peace and happiness within yourself through God and and that your mentor in the church told you it sounds like you were finding that with music. Do you feel like creating Mismore and letting all these emotions out in your art has led you to that peace that you were trying to find with God? Yeah, I do. Uh but only within the last year or so. Um Wow. Uh I don't know. I've only I guess it's taken it's taken about eight years from the time that I released the first Mesmore album. And when I made that album, I'd still consider myself to be a Christian at that point, just really struggling. And uh, that album was kind of like my last prayer to God saying, like, I really hope that you're real and that something comes of this, but this is my final prayer to you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I still had a little bit of hope and was still struggling to understand how I could keep my faith, how it could all be real. Uh, and so from that point, it's been a slow, slow process over the last eight years of, of no longer feeling like I identify with calling myself a Christian, but not knowing what would replace that to right. starting to call myself an agnostic to only within the last year or two, uh, I've realized that I'm totally comfortable with fully embracing the title of atheist. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, it took a really long time. And, and now that I'm there, uh, yeah, I don't, I finally feel a sense of closure actually a little, like some healing, like it, I don't know if I'd say that there's a, a piece that surpasses all understanding <laughs> that gar guards my heart in the name of anything but right. uh especially I when feel... the world is so crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do feel quite a bit better than i felt eight years ago that's amazing and you feel like mismore has helped you get to that place totally i think that uh i mean i think that 
I was traumatized by religion, by my religious upbringing and the ideas that that puts in your head. Like if you're a child that thinks you're going to go to hell, for example, I think that uh, those roots go deep in a person and that uh, although it's quite a bit different than other types of of trauma, I, I do think that there was this deep pain inflicted on me that it took a long time to to change and i had to change the way that i thought about things mm-hmm. uh, to experience a difference in how i felt about things because there's just so much guilt and fear and misunderstanding that uh was i was wrapped wrapped up in and ms Moore was just the therapy that enabled me to understand what this was what this is and uh how to move forward from it and and feel a little better Mm -hmm. so i i've i think i've always kind of sought out art and music for that reason for catharsis and and therapy and healing and your last record karen that came out last year I mean, cairns are like rock structures that can be like burial markers. It's does was was the metaphor there to kind of bury God and sort of like move on now that you've gotten past that mentality? Absolutely, yes, a hundred percent to bury God. Uh, and there's one other concept talked about on the record to to bury the idea that suicide is a the the right way out. Um, so the the album is about recognizing the absurdity of life, that that mankind continually looks for ultimate meaning in a universe that's devoid of ultimate meaning, and that that is a completely absurd scenario. Right. Uh, you can either believe that that's not the case, and that there is ultimate purpose, i.e. God, and take a leap of faith, or you can decide that uh, if there is no ultimate purpose, your life is not worth living anymore and you can die, or you can embrace it for what it is and live each day in the face of the absurd. And And revel in the absurdity. (laughs) (laughs) And just go go forward. Uh, And so, yeah, the idea is that the only viable option is the third one and in order to keep walking forward for me i want these big landmarks that i can easily see in the distance that mark where i've been before so that i don't have to waste my time retracing my steps so again with like the circular thinking kind of thing i would often revisit old doubts i've had to try to resolve them and so i don't want to waste any more time thinking about whether or not god is real I'm, right i'm pretty certain that he's not and uh yeah so this set, set up giant memorials uh to re- big reminders for yourself so that uh, you can keep walking forward that's incredible I love that. And it's so different than so many stories you hear in metal. But I feel like so many people have gone through things like that and they're able to see that in your art. Totally. So where along the way during this whole process did you meet Sarah Ray? I met Sarah Ray, I think, in 2011. I had just moved to Portland from Salem after returning from Germany 
where I was studying the Bible. So it was like right after that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I came back to my hometown where I was living before I left in Salem, and me and some friends finally made the move up to Portland, which I had been wanting to do for a while. And I got a job after a little while at a coffee shop called Crema in Southeast. And through my coworkers, I met Sarah Ray. I went to a Halloween party, I think, with my friend and roommate, Blake, uh, to one of my coworkers' houses. And Sarah Ray was there. And actually, Sarah Ray used to work at Crema. Oh, and cool. Over the course of our years together now, we've worked there together as coworkers. But at the time, I worked there and she didn't. But she was at the party because she had all the same coworkers in the past. And uh, uh, yeah, it was really interesting the, the night that we met because I was there with Blake and we were both uh, doing the Christian thing together. Interesting. Uh, the other friends we lived with weren't, but Blake and I, we were like Christian buddies. We went to the same church. We were like super into Jesus. And uh, we went to this party and we met Sarah Ray. And I don't know how it came up, but I think we said something about us going to church close by or something. And she said, oh, you go to church? We were talking about, oh, yeah, like we're, we're Christians, blah, 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 blah. And she said, oh, that's interesting. I'm a, what did she say? Something to the effect of, I'm a lesbian. What do you think about my lifestyle? Am I going to hell? <laughs> like at this party. And we just like Amazing. <laughs> looked at each other and like Blake took the lead on the answer and said something to the effect of, you know, the, the scriptures call homosexuality a sin, but they there's plenty of heterosexual sins as well, and I wouldn't judge one over the other. So I would just say we're all sinners or something like that. <laughs> and she was answer. like, she was like, okay, and and wasn't offended. And you know, we <laughs> talked we talked later about about that, and she she thought she was just so fascinated by us. She was like, look at these like these young attractive, normal guys that say they're Christians. What the fuck's up with that? In Portland, Oregon, uh, which is such an atheist place. Right. Yeah. So we, we were kind of asking for it, I guess, uh, walking around <laughs> doing our thing in the name of Christ. But uh, yeah, that was, that was the first time I met her. And um, a lot has changed since then. But yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what you guys talked about beyond that at that party? No, that me that memory, I felt so uncomfortable <laughs> that it eclipsed the whole night. <laughs> the anxiety has just washed away all the other memories. Yeah. Were you guys and, dressed up? You said it was a Halloween party. Man, we probably were, but I I don't have a great memory, Kat. Uh, <laughs> and, and at that at that party too, like I was meeting a lot of people and uh, you know, trying to uh, hanging out with my coworkers for probably the first time outside of work. So there was a lot of mingling and, and scattered attention and, you know, like just being at a party with people I don't know that well. So right. the, the one thing I remember really well was meeting Sarah Ray and that's about it. So how did you guys end up keeping in touch after that? How did it lead to like you guys starting to go on dates? Yeah. Uh, after, a while she started working at crema again after maybe like after a year or two even 
But I would see her now and then through like mutual friends and, and coworkers and stuff. Uh, but then she started to work there and we started to hang out one-on-one. She'd come over to my house after a shift and we'd just like go on a walk and drink iced coffees and chat. And nice. I think we started to, we just started to develop an attraction to each other, but even first and foremost, as friends, I think we just kind of realized that we got along and liked how the other person thought and talked and whatnot. And that kind of grew into deeper and deeper attraction and taking things more seriously. I don't really remember us going on dates. Our dates were like her coming over and us like talking and hanging out. And one time we kissed. I think that's, I mean, that's probably the best kind of date because you're actually getting to know each other. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it seems like you guys had a lot of profound things to talk about at that time, too, considering uh, the conversation you had when you first met her and what you were going through <laughs> at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the first time we met, you know, she said that she that she was a lesbian. She really felt pressured to identify as a lesbian based on a a relationship she was in at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, She is bisexual. Uh, That was something that we talked about. We also talked about my faith. And I have this memory of us talking on my bed. And uh, I told... I don't. I forget how it came up. Probably it just always comes up with me because it's part of my life. But (laughs) at one point, I said to her like something about believing in God, wondering if she believed in God, and I gave her my answer of, you know, I I can't be certain. I really don't know, but deep down inside, I think that there is a God. And uh, she said, "Oh, well, I feel exactly the opposite." And I said, oh, you mean like, you know that there's a God? (laughs) She was like, no, like I also don't know, but deep down inside, I'm pretty sure that there's not one. And I was like, oh, and I felt, I remember feeling really disappointed because this was still like, I don't know, 2013. So I was still like falling away from God, but not totally like, I don't believe in any kind of God. You know, we weren't talking about Christ. We were just talking about God. Right. uh, Whatever that means. Like the creator of the universe, whatever that means. Just, yeah, just whatever that means. And uh, it hadn't even, I didn't even know that this type of person existed. That was just like, deep down, I'm I'm an atheist. And I've always felt that way ever since I've been a kid and I've tried to believe and it doesn't work. And it's just like the exact opposite of my life. I was so perplexed that it didn't even cross my mind that this would be a response, you know? Right. Uh, uh, And now I I look back on that conversation very fondly because that's like exactly how I feel now. And this whole time, Sarah's watched me slowly come to that conclusion, but she's always thought that herself. So I, I was perplexed as to why she would even want to talk to someone that was a Christian or believed in some idea of God. Uh, but I'm thankful that she did. <laughs> Do you feel like that was helpful to you at that time while you were grappling with all of these things to develop this deep relationship with someone who was pretty sure that there wasn't a God. So you could kind of, I don't know how to phrase it, like have her support during this time 
and know that you're going to be okay because you're meeting this other person that has come to terms with that? Yeah, I mean, maybe not in in such clear terms, but I think it was helpful for me just to even gain the perspective that this type of person exists and that they're a good person. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the people in my life, you know, I'm still like 21, 22 at this point, like growing up around a lot of other people that also grew up in the church or, you know, have pretty just also agnostic friends. I don't think I had anyone in my life that was like, no, I'm an atheist. If if any of my friends didn't believe in God, they're like, yeah, I just don't really know. I don't really think about it. Who cares? Right. Uh, or, <laughs> Why are you asking were, me this question? <laughs> yeah. Or, or they were, or there were other people like me that were somewhere on the spectrum of like, that's what my parents believe. Uh, either like fuck that or yeah, maybe, or just somewhere, you know, other people that have fallen away from, from a faith and are hurt. So someone that's like never been a Christian never wants to be a Christian was like, whoa, uh, just fascinating, <laughs> fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah. And, and, and just to get the perspective, you know, were you taught before that, that atheists were potentially bad people and that you should avoid them? No, I wasn't taught that. Uh, but <clears throat> I think as Christians, we're all kind of like scared of atheists in, mm. in a certain way. Like They might like tempt you away from your faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is very telling, actually. Like, oh, they, right. they might say something to convince you of otherwise. Uh, <laughs> they might give you some empirical evidence. <laughs> right, right. They might talk about science. Um, I, I think that I thought that atheists were confused and lost and that there was some sort of embitterment, like rebellion against God. Like, yeah, I deep down inside you know he's real you're just choosing not to believe in him because you're a badass or something you know but Mm -hmm. but that there would be an actual pure standpoint of just no i just don't believe in it right Uh, like this this calm like understanding of just like nope not for me right And, and and the realization that for that person that standpoint has no moral implications that person mm-hmm. doesn't believe that therefore they're going to hell or are bad right. or lost or whatever. So you can't appeal to them on that level. Right. How their their opinion is their opinion. To answer your question, I I wasn't taught that that atheists were bad or anything. I, I don't think that I needed to be. I think we all were like, we gotta save the atheists, you know, it's kind of the, right. the unspoken. Let's help them. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> Let's guide them so that they can go to heaven too. Yeah. They're the most lost, the most confused. They need love and light in their life the most out of anyone. Um, kind of kind of beware, but not like they're bad or anything. Mm-hmm. And then here you find yourself falling in love with a person who is one of those people. That's yeah. that's such a that's such a wonderful, beautiful, crazy thing to have happen. I agree. I'm really thankful for that. During that time when you when you were starting to lose your faith and you were starting to dismantle your beliefs, how how did she provide support to you? Really just being there. Um, I don't remember us having so specific of, of talks throughout the journey of like, 
this is where I'm at right now. This is what I'm struggling with right now with the, with, in regards to the faith and whatnot. I was just pouring that into Mismore. Um, so I think it was more in the background of just being able to hang out with this person, being able to talk to this person without being judged and to actually feel like it's genuine. Um, that because speaking as a former Christian, there are plenty of people with radically different worldviews that a Christian would want to hang out with uh, and have the appearance of not judging, but for the sake of getting closer to so that one day they might be converted. Even if you don't, if you're not consciously thinking that, you're subconsciously thinking that because, I mean, it's actually you're doing a good thing, quote unquote, in terms right. of, of that belief system, because you think that that person's going to go to hell. So if you I'm had leading the knowledge them to salvation. That, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, so to just have there not really be any motive, but hey, you know, it's good to, to hang out and, and, and chat and, and be friends. Um, I think that was just really comforting to me. And she was just fascinating to me. So, and to, to have, to have us slowly build a foundation for our relationship that went from acquaintances to coworkers, to close friends, to romantic interest, uh, that slow kind of gradual thing just, I think made us have a strong, genuine relationship in the long run. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I've always been really curious about is if so much so much of the time when we hear about Christianity and pop culture having to do with relationships, we hear about things like the sanctity of marriage or like things in the Bible that say that women have to be subservient to men or um you know what's moral as far as dating, like if you should have sex before marriage or not, things like that. Do you feel like you experienced any teachings either when you were growing up in the church or when you were studying the Bible in Germany that taught you about what a relationship should look like? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, e even as I I'd say, even just growing up, having all that stuff in the background, uh, not necessarily being aware that I was being taught something specific about how relationships should work, but just, just kind of the, all the background noise of, of, uh, growing up the way I did, I, I think it kind of instilled at least a strong sense of, uh, of devotion in a relationship. Um, usually specifically seen in working towards having a monogamous marriage, uh, of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that I kind of was shaped with this idea. Um, I mean, I was never taught that women are, are to be subservient to men, but you read that in the scriptures uh, and, and the vibe is kind of there. And, and I, I appreciate having, you know, a strong sense of, of loyalty and devotion instilled in me uh, in regards to relationships. Um, that's not a bad thing, mm -hmm. but... Totally. There was also a lot of pressure, um, like for example, like dating as a teen. 
and and you said it like no sex before marriage um that was the thing that i rebelled against and when, and when i was a young teen i i didn't i mean i felt guilty about it uh definitely but it wasn't causing me lots of distress but as a older teen and in my early 20s when i was devoutly pursuing the lord of my own accord i was in a Christian relationship with a girl that I loved and I mean we would when we would have sex I would have to pray for forgiveness like all the time and I felt so rotten all the time and so I was co- we we're constantly fighting this war of like the flesh versus the spirit and um you know that puts a lot of pressure on you to like get married right away so that you're allowed to have sex totally <laughs> and and that can I mean that's not a good, those aren't good circumstances under which to get married. I think that that a lot of people mistakenly or or get or get get married to people that aren't going to be good choices, marital choices for them in the long run just because they want to, you know, not just have sex but like have this marriage that you're supposed to have. There's tons of language in the scriptures about the church being the bride of Christ and um you just you kind of don't feel complete as a believer until you have this spouse that's doing this walk with Christ with you that kind of completes the picture so you're desperately searching for that and there's just so much pressure and guilt and uh, misconception misguided ideas around that um, I like to ramble a little bit here it became a real issue with this this Christian relationship I was in because we felt like we were called to one another and through the course of our relationship like even when I was living in Germany for six months studying the Bible and, and we were doing long-distance thing like whenever we would have problems the answer was always well we're supposed to be together and you know there was a a time early on when like that was endearing and maybe served to strengthen us but after a while when we were dealing with you know just the intrinsic properties of of each of our personalities being incongruent uh meaning maybe we actually shouldn't be together we don't work together that great as a romantic couple we always would shove those things down and and say well you know god confirmed i was praying about it and god confirmed to me yet again that we're supposed to be together however i we felt that happened right and so i there was so much needless it was dragged out um and, and and we're still friends this person's a great person uh i i love them for who they are but i couldn't see that we aren't that compatible as partners because I was blinded by this idea that it's meant to be. And, and I think that, that that's another idea that I got in my childhood, not just from Christianity and religion, um, probably from, from some other things too, just in the culture surrounding it. But I always thought, you know, there's, there's a purpose for everything. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, even when I was a really little kid, I believed in soulmates, and and I I thought that this person and I were supposed to be together, like that, like that's a thing, you know. And we were just in pain for way too long because of our stubbornness of our belief in, I mean, in this circumstance in Christianity. Right. 
It's it's interesting you mention you know that that idea is prevalent outside of Christianity too because I I feel like so many people especially even in like Disney movies and stuff growing up are indoctrinated into this idea that there's one person out there that is your soulmate and you're going to you're going to search for that person until you find each other and then it's just going to click and then that's just going to be magical forever and right. it's just going to be like your destiny Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great example. I, it was just, it's, it's all around us. I think it was kind of reinforced in the background through, through Christianity, but yeah, it was, that's a really bad way to, to continue on a relationship when it clearly, (laughs) no pun intended, isn't meant to be. Right. Well, especially when then if you break up with that person and you still believe that way of life, then that means that you've already found your person and then now there's no one because it didn't work out with that one person. And you probably right. live with a considerable amount of like shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that route or that you were just wrong the whole time and totally. not hearing God correctly and you're, you know, coming to him in prayer the wrong way, not listening the right way. I don't know, a whole bunch. Of, everything's just guilt. <laughs> yes, yeah, the weight of guilt will lead people to do so much crazy shit. Yeah, I agree. So when you say you felt like you were called together or toward one another, what did that feel like? Like what in prayer, what were you hearing that made you realize that? You know, early on, like my relation actually hindsight my relationship with this person is what drew me to start an adult relationship with christ uh, this this person uh wanted to do that first had has the same a similar background as me and was having their own stirrings as to wanting to come back to the faith as an adult and take it seriously and we were already dating and i I don't know how to describe it other than it just sounded like a good idea to me, like something I would try. And it was a slow process of of like going back to church. And I felt angry at first, but I was there and I thought that that was a good step. And just like all these tiny little, it's a mix of, of gut intuitions and coincidences that happen that lead a person to think that God's hand is guiding their path. And, uh, you know, to give you one specific example, later on when when I was in Germany, we'd already been together for a while, and we were having problems staying together. I sought the Lord in prayer with the scriptures and did something that you're not supposed to do, which is kind of play roulette with the Bible and just flip it open and read something and read into that, like God's telling you something because, <laughs> I mean, it's almost like really a cult because right. I just, I found this page and I'm reading this thing right now, so that must be what's supposed to be happening. It's like a complex Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, and and I even knew in the moment that that's not how you're supposed to do it, uh, but I was just at wit's end and I was crying and and praying and I flipped open the Bible just to hope that I could just read something that would help. And the first thing I saw was a a chapter about, uh, I think it was the Apostle Paul sailing on the Adriatic Sea and uh, 
my girlfriend at the time, her, her name is the first part of that word, A-D-R-I-A. Wow. And you don't see that word any other time in the Bible. It's just talking about this one event. And so I just thought, okay, well, I, I know that this isn't supposed to mean anything because I'm doing the whole random chance scriptural approach, but like, that's too big of a coincidence. There's just one more time that when I'm asking for help, God's confirming I should be with this person. That is pretty wild, though. I mean, yeah, but wild things happen all the time. Coincidences happen all the time. That is very true. But I'm sure at that moment, <laughs> you were overcome with like, holy shit, <laughs> that is yeah. incredible. Yeah, but I mean, the the list of things that people do because they think that God told them that or that they feel like God's on their side or God spoke to them. It's atrocious. <laughs> right. And there's like a, a psychological phenomenon that when you go looking for something, you're going to find it. Yes, absolutely. Very much uh, self-fulfilling prophecy vibes. Right. Um, like a like a confirmation bias type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even if you don't get your, your bias confirmed, if you're really seeking that hard, you'll read into the results somehow, even if it even if it says the opposite message, you know, then, well, then that's a sign of, that I'm doing something wrong or whatever. Like, and you just, you put the moment on a pedestal and you extrapolate from it what you think God's telling you. And it's just like, what if he's telling you nothing? What if he doesn't exist? What if this is all in your head? Right. And you're saying it to yourself. Yeah. So now that you're in a non-Christian relationship, as a person who identifies as being an atheist, do you feel like your approach to relationships are different now or that you've erased some of the things that you used to believe or think? Yeah, I, I think that that my relationship now is much more uh, reasonable, phlegmatic. I think that I don't have this idea that I'm supposed to be with anyone or called to be with anyone. So being with someone is a mutual choice and you either want it or or it's good for you or it's working or positive or whatever or not. Uh, and I mean, it doesn't take away the the pain and the struggle of, of what it is to work through and, and, and be in a, a long committed relationship, but it removes this illusion that there's some force guiding it. Uh, and I think that's kind of a game changer for how you, how you approach a lot of things. Yeah. That's, that's really profound. Like the idea that choosing something is a lot more powerful than it just being a random chance. So back to the story of Sarah Ray, can you recall the moment where you first realized you were in love with her? Yeah. Um, well, I can recall the moment that she told me she realized she was in love with me. And I do, I do recall the moment for me as well. But for her, I, was, um, I would share my lyrics with her. For I, I would like, you know, burn, burn a new a Mismore song I was working on on a CD and like give her the lyrics to it. Or this other band I was in at the time called Urzite, I gave her um, all the lyrics to that because that was really... Um, 
as opposed to Mismore, it was less pining and sad and more just like irreverent and insane. <laughs> and so the lyrics were a little bit more abrasive. And I felt like uh, for some reason she could relate to to one of the songs. And uh, I sent, I gave her the lyrics and uh, she told me later that when she was reading the Urzite lyrics, which is like just nasty black metal music, that that was the moment she realized that she loved me. That's incredible. <laughs> and the moment I realized I loved her was uh, she was over at my house and, and we had kind of figured out that we were romantically interested in one another. But for the for the past while in her life, she had lived in a polyamorous relationship. And uh, I told her that I wasn't interested in that and that if we wanted to do something romantic, I wanted to be monogamous. And um, she told me that she would consider trying that for me. And <laughs> amazing. Instead of, yeah, right? It was amazing. And instead of being stoked, I overthought it and complicated it and, <laughs> and, and pressed her on it. Like, like, what does that mean? Uh, you know, sort of like, why can't I get a better answer from you or something? Right. And, uh, Not like I'll just, I'll consider it. <laughs> right. Right. And, and she, if you're she, lucky. Got, she got upset and she left my house and sitting there on the bed, realizing how upset I was that I just blew this thing. And we, we won't be having a relationship now, I think was the moment I realized I loved her. Wow. That's really cool. It's like, oh, damn it. What did I just do? Why can't I just be simple and say, okay. Because <laughs> you were being honest and true to yourself and stating your needs. And that's very important. Yeah, How did you guys true. end up resolving that? It just resolved itself. Um, we talked about it. She was like, yeah, it kind of pissed me off that you, I just did like made this big concession for you and you were like, concerned about it and it wasn't good enough for you and it's like yeah i get that and we just we just tried again and yeah we've been together for six years now wow that's amazing i love that you were that it you know started with a foundation of honesty even if it leads to a bad conversation yeah that's uh i think that's important to both of us and i think we're also both pretty emotional and fairly transparent so lying can only go so far. Right. <laughs> so what kinds of things has she taught you about yourself since then? Oh, boy. Uh, she has taught me. What has she taught me about myself? She's taught me that sometimes I'm not paying attention and listening when I think that I am. And uh, that there's a lot that it's really worthwhile to pay close attention uh, to the moment. She's taught me that I'm probably more traumatized than I realize in my life. And uh, she's taught me to approach things with curiosity instead of judgment. And I think that that has been a really important lesson to my relationships with everyone. The less judgmental I can be, and I'm certainly still a student in this, but uh, the more just genuinely curious I can be about where another person's coming from instead of leap taking the leap and, and then judging that, uh, the better it is for that relationship. 
Yeah, I think I think that's really incredible. Like that uh, a romantic relationship can teach you those things about yourself that you can apply to everyone in the whole world. Or being present in a moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like a little, like a relationship like that, especially when you live together and whatnot. It's kind of like a little time capsule or, or, or whatnot. It like you'll, you'll learn all the things that you need to improve about your relationships with all your friends and family members through this relationship with this person you're super close with and never apart from. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like a mirror. <laughs> it just speeds, it speeds the whole thing up. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. And, um, so you create at home a lot. I can see like you have your amps and your, your, soundproofing of some kind behind you Mm -hmm. so when you're writing music and stuff like that how do you you say you want to be present in the moment and everything how do you communicate like today i am gonna go create i'm gonna go make ms more stuff i i'm gonna go focus on that today and i can't be present for you uh well it's only really been an issue, I guess, since quarantine, because for the past couple of years, I've worked from home doing, you know, using my office. It's like an office studio space. So it's where I record and write music. It's where we have band practice. It's where I ship merch from. It's like, if I can mm-hmm. put all the things related to Mismore that I have to do into one room so that it doesn't have to spill out into the rest of the house, that would probably, <laughs> probably be the best. So I have my zone that I go in, um, but up until, you know, the, all this virus stuff started, she went to work every day, works 40 hours a week. Uh, so it wasn't really an issue. I'd just work from home and she'd come home and then we'd both be done working and we'd start hanging out. But now she has to work from home, too. So I guess I guess that's the answer. It's not really a, a, a problem because she has to work, too. I'm always working when she's working and when she's home and not working. I feel like I can't work because I want to know what she's doing. I want to go like <laughs> hang out with her and stuff. That's really sweet. <laughs> so yeah, it's much it's much easier for me to work when she's not around. But <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. How has quarantine affected your relationship? Have you guys like gotten sick of each other and had to be like, I need to go be in the other part of the house, or has it been okay? Uh, it's been mostly okay. I mean, for me as a person, and and she knows this, I'm fairly introverted, and I define that as meaning that I recharge energy by being alone. I like to be around other people. Um, It's not that I like don't like to socialize. I don't think that that's really what the word means, but that I I have to like get by myself and and. chill out and like find my center to like feel like a person again after being around people for a while Mm -hmm. so i think for me like in this time of quarantine i've reached a couple points where i just feel like i need alone time but it's not personal right you know against her or anything it's just like i need to hear nothing for a while (laughs) and like just be alone with my thoughts or try to get to a place where I don't have thoughts or whatever, <laughs> uh, need to disappear for a little while. So I've struggled with that a little bit, um, but nothing major. It's pretty chill. I feel like there's a misconception about what the word introversion means. 
Like I know so many introverts that are extremely social and outgoing people. They just mm-hmm. also need to recharge. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't even know if that's the correct, if my definition for it is the correct definition for it, but I've started to adopt that because it makes the most sense to me and how to yeah. let people, other people know how I am. How have there been times when you've struggled with that or like communicating your needs regarding that? Oh, sure. Uh, I think that, uh, I mean, like, especially, I think the worst case scenario for me is being on tour. Uh, I, it's great. I mean, there's so much about it that I love. Don't get me wrong, but Mm -hmm. it's incredibly bittersweet and exhausting. And I think I get the most distraught and emotional in those circumstances where not only am I around people 24 seven, but there's all these other layers of discomforts and unhealthy lifestyle <laughs> on, on top of it that's uh, imposed upon you that and constant yeah, I, overstimulation I, and people around you and ex- no alone exactly time. yeah so I think I kind of reach my breaking point in those mo- moments more that makes sense yeah so speaking of tour I realize you don't tour a ton with Ms. Moore, but when you have gone on tours and whatnot how do you and Sarah Ray figure out your communication when you're gone for like weeks at a time? Uh, we mainly text and every once in a while do a phone call and a FaceTime call. She's pretty autonomous. Um, we both start to miss each other and, and need, need the communication, obviously. And at different points in our relationship on different tours, it's been different um, where I've needed her more or, or vice versa. Um, but I think now that we've been together for longer and I've gone on tour more times. We've kind of settled into like, we'll be off and on texting all day. And then like every two days or so have a voice or face call. Um, I'm not the type that wants to, I don't really like talking on the phone. And I I know that texting is a terrible way of communicating, but (laughs) I just feel awkward on the phone. It's always like, given me a certain amount of stress. Uh, So I kind of try to put it off, but then we like obviously need to talk and it's it's great to talk. Um, But yeah, I think, I think I I'll call her like every two days instead of every day. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. How do you handle it when there's a disproportionate situation? I guess disproportionate is not the right word, but an uneven situation where you need her and she doesn't need you currently, or or vice versa. How do you oh, communicate just, that? Just cry. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. Usually, some some type of conversation that has emotion in it that lets the other person know and and, <laughs> and draws out their empathy. We don't really fight. Uh, we have fought, but it's not it's not common. It's more just like. I'm 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 sad. Why can't you tell? And you're not giving me what I need. And then, oh, I'm sorry. And then, and then it's fine. That's a beautiful thing when there can be that. Recognizing crying is like a signifier of you need my empathy right now, as opposed <laughs> to why are you crying? This is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nothing more to say. I'm just crying right now. <laughs> it's like obviously you're feeling huge emotions, <laughs> so. It's manifesting itself this way. Right. 
And and it's at those moments where it does me better to suspend judgment and become curious about what's going on. And that usually makes me care a lot about what's going on instead of thinking about what do I need? How is this affecting me? This is so right. uncool or just Why whatever. are you doing this to me? He, exactly. As opposed to like, I wonder why this person is expressing themselves this way. Maybe I should ask them. <laughs> yes. Maybe that's, I'm that's causing a really it. Huge, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's a really huge thing to realize. I mean, six years is a long time to be with somebody. And that's a humongous thing to recognize about yourself and to recognize how it's helping not only your life, but like these little situations that pop up in various uh, types of communication or uh, environments. Yeah, sure. I, I think I've I've tried recently. I'm not very good at it, but I'm trying to meditate more and, and cultivate more of a mindfulness skill uh, just for the sole purpose that I think it makes me a better friend and, and lover and just whatever um, to increase my focus to just make me better for other people. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a very crazy question for you. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this, you know, when you're describing like the profound love of being enamored with the idea of Christ and the falling in love with religion and all of the, the huge emotions that come with that. And you've also experienced this deep romantic love with a person for six years I mean, aside from like the the surface level things like lust and and sexual feelings and stuff like that, how do you think the two feelings of love compare? Of love for Christ versus love for Sarah Ray, right? That's, oh wow, that's a really interesting question. I'm not. <laughs> I warned I'm not you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that they do compare in the sense that my love for Christ was proved to be fantastical. Uh, and I think in that sense, it was more of a passion, uh, of an infatuation, I guess, like an obsession with an idea uh, than, than it, you find in actually living in loving relationship with another human being. I'd say they're nothing alike because Christ never shares his emotions with you or his thoughts with you, tells you what he needs from you. Uh, it's a one-way street. Mm -hmm. uh, it's totally silent on the other end. And you just kind of make guesses and inferences and have intuitions about your feelings and thoughts when you're praying that you mistake for God communicating with you. So you really have a relationship with yourself that you're, mm -hmm. that you're forming around the narrative of a person in a book. Uh, so it seems really kind of I guess now that I'm talking about it, it seems really selfish and gross in this way. Like I, at the time I felt like I was in love with Christ, but, uh, you know, lear learning that there is no real Holy spirit with which I am communing. Uh, that's part what of does the, that leave the, you with. <laughs> yeah. The earth shattering revelation of like, well then what the fuck have I been doing? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I much prefer, I much prefer living in this loving relationship with, with Sarah Ray, because otherwise, I don't know, it's almost like when I was a Christian, it was just, there's almost a sense of like philosophical masturbation about it, mm -hmm. where it's just like, it's just ideas. You're just 
by yourself thinking about ideas. I mean, you live in fellowship with other believers and you congregate and whatnot, but like the substance of, of your conviction is, is your, in your inner life. And, uh, yeah, that's just ends up being the hollow substance in there. It's, yeah, it's weird. Um, I, yeah, to, to try to answer your question better, it was my relationship with Christ wasn't real, and my relationship with Sarah Ray is real. <laughs> well, I like both versions of your answer, the very, very beautiful <laughs> one and the very succinct one. Um, yeah, that's a really profound realization. I never really thought about that that way either, like that you're kind of developing a relationship with yourself during that. I mean, only only non-believers would see it that way, but right, of course. Yes, it's <laughs> it's all just in your brain, <laughs> right? So, I read your your metal injection interview with Cody. Um, oh, nice! I, I love Cody. So, shout out he- to Cody. Um, you said in that interview that creating has given you a new sense of purpose kind of that has filled the hole where God used to be. Um, but you also said with Karen that it was kind of like putting a marker there to end your mourning for God because it's, you're burying it in the past. You're moving on. You've reached that sense of peace. So if that is all in the past now, then what can we expect from, from Ms. Moore now? And what are you going to be creating in the future? That's a great question. Um, in general, I would say I don't know. Uh, but since do I've done a couple interviews actually around Karen, where I, I've expressed this idea of like, there, there's finality in the album and, um, you know, there's there's some amount of healing within myself that, like, in a sense, a lot a lot of this project has served its purpose, um, because because Ms. Moore in specific, I use f- for this one purpose. Um, so I, I've thought at times that I that it would be possible that I wouldn't need to make another album, but I'll never close the book because. You just never know. And um, I've, I've always needed, the one thing I know about myself is that I've always needed to create music to deal with what I'm experiencing. So it just may be that Mismore evolves um, and isn't about God anymore, or I, I'm not really sure. Um, I can give you a tiny little snippet of a secret that I can't flesh out too much but uh awesome i i've been i've been wondering this myself uh this question and since quarantine i've actually been working with another artist on a musical collaboration hell yeah so i'm excited about that and i've never ever thought that ms moore would have any collaborative element to it because it's like my journal and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I like being in bands with other people or playing other people's music and stuff too. But there's really no room in Mismore to have someone else's influence, um, mm-hmm. but to mash up its sound with another sound is something I hadn't really considered before. And uh, I wish I could say more about it. But uh, there's stuff happening. There's still music that's going to come out. I think it's just going to keep evolving as as I keep changing and, and aging. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, should you call it something else if it's 
not about the same thing anymore. These are the questions I I ask myself, but I think at least for now, I'm going to keep rolling with Mismore and just create as I need to create. And I'm not really sure what that is going to look like or sound like in the future. I think there are always more absurdities in life for you to talk about. And I mean, we're talking about love. I feel like love is just as absurd as all these things. Like the idea that we find a person that we're in love with and that we partner up with and live and coexist within the world when everything is bananas. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. I I think that, uh, it's just a, it's just part of who I am to make sense of, to process things. I need to make art and music and I don't think there's an end to that insight. I don't always know what it'll be called or sound like or, or whatnot, but I'm always, I need, I need this. It's part of who I am. So what would be your advice to people who want to have a happy, lasting, respectful relationship? Man, um, my advice would be probably indicative of the response I gave earlier. I I think that um, one of the most valuable things you can do in a relationship is not be judgmental. Um, Yeah, just try to be, I'd say try to be curious and uh, give give the person the benefit of the doubt and practice empathy and humility and hope for the best. And if they cry, be curious about why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you're both and if you're both acting in that way, being curious and non-judgmental and uh, and it's still problematic, then you know, you might try to find someone else. That also makes a lot of sense you know just yeah be honest with yourself be honest with the other person that's really beautiful thank you so much for sharing all that with me and uh, of course thank you for having me (laughs) it's delightful to talk to you this episode of hot-blooded was hosted written and produced by me kat jones it was edited and co-produced by evan bulaney and the theme song was written by jordan olds the logo was made by Corey Largent, who goes by Insane Clam Pasta on Instagram, and additional graphics were made by Jonathan Amaya. Thank you so much to everyone who subscribed on Patreon, but especially those who subscribed to the Lover tier, Janet Talenko Davis, Mark Bassett, Rob Menzer, Ryan Cardi, Ronnie Rodriguez, and the band Drug Salad. If you love this podcast and want me to keep making these, I would love it if you subscribed on Patreon. It helps pay for the hosting fees, the equipment, and a bunch of other things we need to keep this running smoothly. And we donate 20% of the money every month to an organization fighting for racial equality. As I said earlier, this month, it's the Okra Project. You can find it at patreon.com slash hotbloodedpodcast. If you ever want to shoot us a tip but don't want to subscribe, you can always cash app us at hotbloodedpodcast. To learn more about the show, head to hotbloodedpodcast.com. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or love letters, you can send them to me at hotbloodedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again so much. We will see you next week.